Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October the 8th, 2018, and this is episode 2526 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Tuesday, and we're going to be talking about time to plan the winter garden and homestead projects. So this is really going to be an episode... More on planning than on the projects themselves. We're going to talk about how to make the most of this winter that's coming up. Uh, I was thinking about what to do today, and a thought came across my mind, almost like you know, like a marquee sign inside my head. And it was basically that the summer of 2019 seemed to go on forever. You know, when I was a young kid, it was a good thing when that happened. When you were out of school and you were you know, hanging out with your friends and chasing girls and going up the mountain and swimming in stripping holes and stuff like that. And those endless summers were, were, were kind of amazing. Um, now as an older man, I really, you know, I look forward to the change of the seasons and I guess taking care of grandkids every day in our home. I, I kind of look forward to them going back to school and having a little bit more peace in the house. And this this summer did seem to just go forever. And even when we got the kids back to school, September was no relief for a lot of the nation. I know a few places it got really cold pretty fast, but most of the country, it just stayed summer all the way through September. It sure wasn't any relief for it here. That said, the last two nights were in the 50s. And nights in the 40s are soon on the way by the end of this week. I think Friday our high is going to be in the 60s and our low is going to be something like 47 degrees. The days are getting shorter, and that sun angle is really starting to change. Those of you who drive to work every day, you're probably noticing the sun's hitting you in the eyes a lot harder in the morning when you turn certain ways and send certain directions at certain times of day in the evening and the morning. I, I don't spend a lot of time on the road anymore, but in my morning walks as I come around the corner of the house facing back to the east, I have to put my hand up. The sun's just blinding me because it's lower in the sky. That's because the days are getting shorter. And the sun angle is getting more shallow, so it stays more time in that low angle. Uh, a couple days ago, I saw a huge flock of blackbirds, several hundred of them, uh, move through my property. It's like a mob just moving through. They really didn't hang out at all. And, you know, the big flocks of thousands upon thousands are coming. I can even tell you the intersections and the parking lots to go to uh, within a month where you will see more blackbirds. I mean, it looks like a horror movie. There'll be so many of them here. Um, I'm also starting to see diamond doves showing up on my property. That's always a sign that we're heading into winter. If you wonder what a diamond dove is, they look like a little morning dove is basically what they look like, a little more speckles on them. Um, all of these are signs. The wheel has really turned, and the downhill, like almost coasting into winter, has begun. And, and so now's the time to get serious about planning all the projects that you want to get done before spring starts up. And all that winter downtime that we look forward to in the winter is gone. And I know right now it seems like Christmas is miles away. And we all know that you know once Christmas is over, it's really when the heaviest part of winter hits. And we have cabin fever that will tend to last for, you know, depending on where you are, getting from two to three months, maybe even four-ish into, into April. Um, uh, but for all of us, January and February, the depths of winter, and you just get tired of being in the house and working in shop and whatever you want to be outside more. But trust me, the holidays are going to be here, like, really soon, really soon. Thanksgiving will be here before you know it. 
and it will just seem to fold into Christmas almost like it. That's why I call the whole thing the holidays. Some people get all their ass in a wad when you say happy holidays or something because they think there's a war on Christmas or whatever. And I know some people, there are people like that. When I say happy holidays, that's because, to me, that whole part of the year is like my favorite part of the year. Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, New Year's, the whole time. And that'll just seem to like just happen and be gone. And next thing you know, you'll be into those cold winter months. And if you if you haven't already set out a plan and an agenda, what happens is next thing you know, the birds are singing again and spring's here and half the stuff you wanted to get done, you didn't get done. And the things that were going to happen this winter uh, become things that you're going to get to next year. And there's a thing about next year. It's always there, but uh, when things things that you've been wanting to do become a next year project two or three times in a row, odds are they're never going to get done. So today's episode is going to be about preventing that from happening. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is Safe Castle Royal. Safe Castle Royal has been with us for, I'd been running the show about six months and I decided it was okay to take sponsors. I had about 3,000 listeners when I took Safe Castle on. So I've been doing the show 11 and a half years. And they've been with us for 11 years. That's what that means. 11 freaking years. Are you kidding me in podcasting? They still give away their discount membership to every single member of the MSB. They sell that every day for $29 a year. You can get a lifetime membership for free from them as an MSB member. Um, I want you to think about something with that. You can't even buy that membership for a lifetime membership anymore. But you can get it for free. I mean, that's how much they support us. They have everything for your prepping needs from the practical to the tactical, everything in between. Check them out, safecastle.com. Next up today, another long-term sponsor. Been with us. I mean, I think Jeff the Berkey got Gleason sponsored our show about two or three months after Vic from Safe Castle. He's been with us almost, you know, almost as long. I mean, 11 years-ish. And if you want to get a Berkey or you need parts for your Berkey, why go anywhere other than the Berkey guy? He's first of all, he's a Berkey guy. Great service. Great pricing. He really can't be beat on pricing. He, I know he can't be beat on service. And he's been supporting this show for over a decade. Are you kidding me? Who else would you go to? Some random stranger at a gun show where you can get your Berkey? Don't do that. Go with Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason at Directive21.com. And remember, he has a lot of other cool stuff for your prepping needs. With that, let's go ahead and jump on into this subject. I just want to reiterate a little bit about what I said in the intro there, that now is the time. And now's the time for a couple reasons. One of the reasons that now is the time is that <clears throat> planning is so key to actually getting things done, and it's 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 incredibly uh, key to making sure that you know what you can and what you can't get done. And what that does is it lets you prioritize. So I guarantee you when you're done with the process that goes with this show, if you sit down and do it and you write down all the stuff, that you want to and think you're going to do this winter. And then you go through the process I'm going to give you, you're going to determine that you probably can't do it all. That it's probably just, it just can't be done. You can't do it all. So then you're going to need to figure out what to do first, what needs to get done, what's nice to get done, what to do second, third, fourth, and fifth, what is most important to get done, and what you're going to be okay doing in spring and into early summer when the weather heats back up and what you're not going to be okay doing. What you're going to need done soon by midwinter and by spring versus what you're going to want. 
And when you put all that together, what you're going to be able to do is plan this out with the basic skills of a project manager. You know, when I when I used to project manage big cabling installation jobs, people would give me a job, and the first thing I would have to do is do it's called a Gantt chart. And that might be a little bit overkill for your, your planning here, but it basically what it did is I broke down the project into phases and components and then figured out how many man hours I would need to get them all done. And then I assigned technicians, lead technicians, et cetera, uh, test, testing techs, quality assurance techs, all of the people that needed to do the work to each phase of those and allocated their man hours accordingly. And, you know, projects often came in a little over or under on those, but we did a really good job of planning, you know, at least the basic concept of the project matching what the project had been bid at and how many hours there were to get the job done so we could budget those things. And that way, when something went wrong, um, if it was something that was on the customer's end, at least we had justification. We could say, hey, you're going to have to pay for this extra stuff. And by that way, we were able to bring that project in on time and be able to make money at it so the company could keep doing its job. Well, you know, the stakes aren't that high at your house. Like, you're not going to get fired as the head of your homestead if you don't get your projects done on time and, and what have you. But it is going to mess a lot of your planning up, your, your, your broad plan, the stuff you just do in your head without writing anything down and really thinking about it. So by establishing budgets of both time and money and priorities, we can get things done in a way that gives us the most bang for our buck, most bang for our money and the most bang for our time invested. And the time to do that is now because it's important that instead of getting into this period of time and just like start randomly doing stuff here and there that we've already planned out, like by November 15th, this project's going to begin and I've got two weeks to get it done. And if it ends up going to three weeks, then we can just move the whole project timeline or we can figure out how to accelerate something else to try to get all the things we want done. If we wait till November 15th and decide to do this project, well, now I don't have the materials that I need to do it, and I didn't know how much it was really going to cost, and, ah, man, I, this thing's broken, and i got to fix that instead. And you see how it goes. But if we, if we do the planning now, because now is still the time when you're probably busy enough that you don't have time to do all the stuff, but you can find the time to do the planning. And so I try to do a show on this type of planning somewhere in this time period every year, and I think it's a good time to do it again. So step one, and again, I'm going to tell you some of the things I've got planned for this year, but I'm going to do most of this on how you can run the process no matter what you want to get done. Mostly I want to focus this year on my growing systems, systems to grow uh, small livestock, and uh, a little bit with my shop building which is also going to be key to getting a lot of the other stuff done. So that puts the priority on the shop building. But it won't matter. Once you make your list, this process will work for you no matter what you want to get done. And it'll work year-round. It's just really applicable to this time of year as we head into that winter downtime where we can't spend a lot of time. A lot of times in part of the country, you're not going to spend a lot of time outside. But a lot of your construction projects and stuff like that, you can do... Uh, in your shop building or your garage or things like that. Or you can spend time outside doing physical labor that normally you wouldn't want to do in the summer because, like, here you'll die. Like, you work too hard in the summer in Texas. You just fall over, and they don't even they don't even come get you. They just, the hole you were digging, they just kick you in it and throw the dirt on top of you because they know you're done, right? So we don't want to do that. All right, so step one is evaluation. And there, there's to me, there's four keys into evaluating what you did this year. And that's where I think instead of starting with where I want to be 
by spring and what I want to get done, let's start out with what we did. So the first thing you should ask yourself when you look at all of your homesteading activities up till now, your gardens, etc., what worked? What worked really good? You know, just just go through all of the things that you've put together on your home, like your composting system, your garden, if you're doing livestock, if you are doing aquaponics, if you're doing food preservation, whatever you're doing. Just, just list all the stuff that you do, and then go by and grade them. Like, how well did this work? Is this an A or a B? And that's pretty good. Is it a C or is it an F? Because your next question is, what didn't work? What was just a failure. Because we all have failures. What do you just look at and go, planted those trees there and all of them died. I planted those trees and nine of the ten died. All right. And with that also, what was clearly a losing play? Like even if it quote-unquote worked, like Dr. Evil, it worked, right? Even if it worked, then it really wasn't worth doing. So maybe, yeah, this system grew a certain amount of food, but if you look at it, you could have bought like, organic food for a tenth of the price of what it costs you. And then when you evaluate that, you have to say, okay, well, that's not a sunken cost. Will it continue to do that? Will it continue to be a losing play? Or has the loss been absorbed? Yeah, you know, this, this, this garden bed didn't really produce with this particular crop enough money to pay for itself this year. But at this point, it is paid for. It is done, and it produced enough to be worth doing. Or do I need to convert it to something else? Because what we need to look at when we see what didn't work and what was a losing play is do we either kill it or fix it? Because if we kill it, then it just goes off the list. And then we're left with some type of infrastructure or some type of resource needs to be reassigned. That needs to go on our active list for things that we're going to do. And if we're going to fix it, then we need to figure out what we need to do to fix it that makes it worth continuing to do or makes it where we believe that an adjustment will make it productive for us. And that needs to go on our list of things to do. So it's very important we identify those. And then you really need to ask yourself, When it comes to homesteading especially, and it's so centered on food production uh, in, in many instances, what did you enjoy doing, eating, and having? So maybe you planted something and you grew shitloads of it. Maybe you grew butternut squash and you live where there's not a million vine borers and squash bugs and you planted two or three butternut squash plants and you have 50 butternuts that you're looking at. And, and you go, they're worth about Five bucks a piece because there's some little ones and big ones mixed in there. So I got $250 worth of butternut squash. But turns out you're giving most of it away for people to put out for displays for Thanksgiving because you don't really care for it. Well, even though you were successful at it, you didn't really enjoy eating it. So unless you have a use for it, like a craft use or something like that, probably need to grow less of it next year. Where if you started growing peppers and you only grew a few plants... And you had really good luck with peppers, and you just determined, like I, like where I have, that you can just grow a lot of peppers. Then you might be able to look at, well, maybe I need to do more varieties of peppers and come up with more ways to preserve them because I can only use so many fresh. Or maybe, like me, you might have grown a, a ton of peppers, but maybe you need to grow less of certain varieties and more of some other varieties. So you need to evaluate what you'd had success with, what you enjoyed eating, what you enjoyed doing, and what you enjoyed having. 
if you realize that like one of the greatest joys you have in all your gardening is that even though you've been focusing so much on food, that flowers and herbs that did really good for you and have you know bees and hummingbirds and stuff coming around, that's what actually gave you more joy, then maybe you need to put some more effort into that. So that's how we evaluate what worked, what didn't, what was a losing play, what can we fix, what do we kill, what do we enjoy doing, eating, and having, what do we want more of, and how can we have that. If you start there, then the list that you're going to make for things to do and the priorities that you're going to do it in is going to make so much more sense than if you decide, well, I just want this because I saw somebody make one on YouTube and I have to have it, or I want one of these because Jack has one and Jack's cool, so I want to be like Jack and be cool. No, that's not how we're going to think. We need to think from a standpoint of what worked for me, what did I enjoy, and what do I want to add to my life, or what do I want to shore up, or what do I want to get rid of. You know, I'm pretty much done with quail in my aviary. It was a fun experiment, but in the end, my wife doesn't eat quail eggs. I don't know why, but my wife just will not eat quail. She'll eat chicken, but she won't eat quail. And I mean chicken I raise. She'll eat turkeys I raise, but she won't eat quail. So I put the work and the effort into something that only I eat. Um... I love my duck eggs a little bit more than I like quail eggs, so you know we sell a few quail eggs here and there. But in the end, it was just like, okay, this isn't a thing for me. If my wife ate quail, I would be raising a meat batch of quail you know, every six weeks. I would have a batch coming into fruition, and I would be eating quail once a week for six weeks, and then there would be another batch because they're so easy. But if my wife's not going to eat it, having to cook two different things for dinner, it's just not what I'm about. So even though that worked, even though I kind of enjoyed it, it wasn't worth it. And that's how we have to look. People ask me, why don't you do rabbits? I think rabbits are fantastic. I love rabbit. But frankly, I'm better off buying a few rabbits a quarter or something like that for myself because, again, my wife's not going to eat it. If she's not going to eat it, it's not worth the extra effort and the money and the time. So next we need to do is use that to plan our next steps. We want to do more of what worked. If things worked in the past, we know they'll work in the future, so we want to do more of them if we need to. So if we did really great at growing tomatoes, just as a, just a for instance, but we ended up with more tomatoes than we can use, we do not need to grow more tomatoes. We actually might even need to grow less tomatoes because even though it worked really good for us, we just don't need any more. Or we need to figure out how to channel what we did into something that does something for us. So what I mean by that is, well, if we start our own seeds and we grew 50 tomato plants, which is, unless you're doing a market garden, kind of crazy, but we did it to see if we could, and we did. And it turns out we're really badass at starting tomatoes and making tomato plants, and that's why we were able to grow so many tomatoes. And we have the capacity to make 50 or 100 or 200 plants, then maybe we want to make the plants and only plant half a dozen of them, sell the rest friends and family and maybe do some something with somebody down at the farmer's market with a you know a consignment type sale or something like that. Maybe maybe we need to channel that. Or maybe we realize since we grew all those tomatoes, we have really great soil, we need to grow something else with them. But we don't want to do more of something unless we need or we will benefit from doing more. But if we if we did something and it worked and we can use more next year, let's do that. And some of those things you're going to find out are things that you may change along the way. I've always talked about growing radishes with kids because you can grow radishes in 30 days or less. And for little kids without a lot of patience to be able to put a seed in the ground, see it sprouted in three or four days, 
And even if they won't eat it, having them go out there and pull it out of the ground in only three or four weeks and see there's this thing I made is really valuable. But I only ever grew a few radishes here and there, and I mostly let them go to seed to bring in pollinators and stuff because I just didn't like radishes. And I still don't like radishes, if you mean radishes, the way that they were in my life for the last you know 46 years. But somehow in my 47th year of life, I found out that you can cook a radish, and it totally changes its character. And now I like radishes. So now radishes are something that worked that I now want more of because there's a purpose for them where there wasn't before. And then you need to fix or abandon what failed. In your evaluation, this thing just didn't work, then just stop doing it. If it's not fixable, or if you, like, you've determined, like, even if I fix this, it's not going to be worth it, then abandon it. And, and sometimes it's not even that it failed. It just doesn't work for you. Like, bees was another thing I gave up. People say, you don't have to put that much into bees. But it was one more thing to do that, frankly, I didn't get enough out of for it to be worth it for me. I didn't really enjoy it. And it was something that only I could do, or if my mentor came over, he could help me with. Like, no one who watches my place was really comfortable with it. Uh, nobody that, that, that would come hang out with me really wanted to hang out with bees. Like, it was just a thing that really, like, I have total respect for it. I'm glad I did it for a couple years. I learned something. I have the skill if I ever needed it now. But it just didn't really work for me, even though it didn't fail. So I quit. There was a guy I had on the show years ago, and he was talking about unschooling and how he dropped out of high school. And I said, well, what do you say to people who say you, you were a quitter? And he said, I'm all for quitting things that make me miserable. You know, and it, pff, bees didn't make me miserable. They didn't make me happy. And I'm, I'm for quitting things that don't make you happy, especially if you can. And then decide what you want to do next. So you go through that process, and you end up in a great position to start listing all the things that you want to do. So that's the next step. You just list everything you think you want to do, right? And once you do that, you need to sit down and look at each item individually and say how much time and money will each idea cost me? How long will it take me to build this thing, to do this, this thing? And understand, you don't have to be perfect. You, there, <laughs> there's something called a swag, and a lot of people are familiar with the term swag from a standpoint of you know, like giving out T-shirts and cups with logos on them and stuff like that. That's not what I mean. A swag is what's known as a statistical wild-ass guess. So you might ask somebody in a company for what do you think our our marketing budget's going to be next year? And since they haven't gone to department head meetings and got it over whatever yet, they have no real way of saying our marketing budget's going to be two million dollars. But they know what the marketing budget was last year, and they know the performance on that budget, and they have a feeling for what's going on. So you might say, "Look, I, I'm sorry." But I work at a higher level than you do here, and I need a number to put here for now. Give me a guess. And, and calling it a swag makes it sound a little better than you're just a wild-ass guess, but that's all it is. You're using statistics with what you know to make a wild-ass guess of what you don't know. And that's fine for this. So how much time is it going to cost? Now, money is a different thing. I'm big on actually determining what stuff's going to cost because I just sit down. If I'm going to build something, for instance, and it's going to have two-by-fours in it, well, I know how many two-by-fours are going to go in there. And I know if I'm going to use nails or screws or bolts to hold it together so I can figure out how many of them I'm going to use. If I'm building something like a, ch a chicken tractor, a pretty simple project, then I know um, I'm going to need you know hardware cloth around it and a bolt, some bolts to do the wheels with and some hard wheels to make it easier to pull and 
Uh, I know the, all the stuff that's going to go into it, so I can just go to Lowe's or Home Depot, and even if I'm not going to buy the stuff, I can just start adding stuff to my cart. And almost like without using Excel or a spreadsheet or anything, basically I've done a takeoff, which is an estimate for those that are uninitiated. And here's all my materials. Here's my cost. And if I don't want to go pick it up, I can, it'll even tell me how much it is to have delivered. And when I buy a bunch of shit, it's always worth 50 bucks to have it delivered, which is usually what the delivery is from Home Depot or Lowe's. So, yeah, I have it delivered. A guy comes with a forklift. He drops 75 timbers I don't have to carry. Totally worth 50 bucks. But I have my budget now. Then I just start looking at it. And the way that you do an estimate on how long something's going to take you and, and be a little bit better than a swag guess, right, is you just start looking at all the components. Well, I have to cut all these pieces. How long is that going to take? How long does it take to cut one? Once I've cut one and I have a jig made, how much does it take to cut the other ten? Things like that. And pretty quickly, you can figure out a pretty good estimate. That's going to take me 18 hours. Now, you know you don't get to work eight hours a day on the things that you love to do. And you know when you do the things that you love to do, you take a little bit longer when you're having your coffee. or oh, It's really nice out today, so I'm going to sit here and watch the chickens run around. So you know it's going to take more time than that. And then you know you only have certain days you can work. And then you know that maybe on Sunday... You're going to get up early, and if you like football at noon, you're going to quit. Or if you go to church, you know that's going to be in the middle there. So then you figure out how many days that you want to allocate and how many hours you can take from each day, and then that gives you how many days you want. Then add at least one day to it for your estimate. And then you can say, if I start on this day, I should end on this day, and it should cost me this many dollars, assuming that this is the main thing that I do with that time. And that might sound like a lot of work, but it, it took me longer to explain it than it will take you to do it once you get in the habit of doing it. Because you'll just pull your calendar up and go, okay, that Saturday I'm going to be free. I'm going to get four hours there. That Sunday I'm going to put four hours on that Sunday. Next Saturday you got the kids thing and the wife's going to be, he worked last weekend or whatever, so I'm not, I'm not going to work at all that Saturday. Sunday, though, I'm going to get out of not working on Sunday now because now I give them all day Saturday. So I'm going to give myself a full six hours on that Saturday, that Sunday. And then by next Saturday, I put four hours in there, and I should be done. So I'm going to plan on it being done Sunday of that next week. So now you know your number for your dollars and your time to get it done. Now, if you've never done it before, you might add two days to that project timeline, especially if you've never done anything like it before. But you have an estimate now. And if you do, if you just take every single thing you want to do and you do that, you're going to come up with total dollars and total number of hours that you need to do it, and you're going to come up with a budget for how many hours you have. And then you're going to be sad. You're going to be sad because you're going to go, wow, I need 100 hours I don't have, or I need 50 hours I don't have, or I need 20 hours that I don't have. Okay, And you're also going to go, so, shit, I spend $4,600 on all this shit this year, my wife's going to be pissed. Or my husband's going to be pissed, and I'm going to be pissed because that's a mistake. So now you start to create for yourself a reality. Isn't that great? You have reality. In front. I know reality makes people miserable, but in this case, it's a good thing. So then we just start saying, okay, now, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to list the projects that are going to take the most money. Just, I'm going to number them. Put them in Excel. Now just give your project's name. All right? And then... So you got your project, let's say build chicken coop, another project, rehab greenhouse, other project, remodel workshop, right? Blah, 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 all the way down, just label them. And the next row over, 
Just put cost. The next one over, put hours. And then put priority for your next row. Now you can sort by any of those variables. And this is, you don't, I mean, literally, like, you should be able to do this in Excel already, or you are Excel challenged, and you need to learn how to do it. I mean, this is something you don't have to build a spreadsheet, you don't have to write a formula, you don't have to do an algorithm. This is as easy as it gets. Project, money, hours, priority. Give your priority, make your, see, the problem is we do, like, and I've done priority-based systems with, like, give it a priority 1 to 5 or 1 to 10, And the problem with that is it leads to indecisiveness, especially to people that don't generally think this way. So give your priority a one, two, or three. One is, if I don't get this done this year, I really make sacrifices, give something up, or something else won't work. Two, man, I really want this done. I don't need it, but man, do I want it. And three, this is nice to have. So it's, it, it, And then trust your gut. If you're sitting there going, eh, is this a one or a two? Right? Just skip it. Go back over and then do it like the game where people say, do you prefer blue or black? And you don't even have time to think it. You just say black. So come back to it and go, do I need this or want this? I want it. Okay. How badly do I want it? A lot or a little or, a, or some? Some. Okay, so it's a three. Whatever it takes to make you, you know, poop or get off the pot, basically. And assign those numbers. And then it'll be easy. You'll be able to go... You'll be able to look at it and go, well, look, all this is going to cost a thousand bucks more than I have. This project's a thousand dollars. I either need to cut the budget on this project or cut this project this year. Or if I need this project done, do the other projects add up to that much money? And what does this give me? And you'll be able to really quickly, like, all of a sudden, this group of five or six or ten things you want to do will just naturally, you'll be able to put it into an order. And once you have it in an order, Then you can say, okay, so this one's going to start in November. It's going to take two weeks. This is when it's going to end. Then this one's going to start you know, two weeks into November. It's going to take three weeks. So that's going to put us into the first week of December. Ah, uh, shit. All that holiday crap really picks up then, so I'm not going to have this time. Okay, so it's going to be by the time I can do the third one, it's going to be like third week in January before I'm finished. And you'll be looking at some going, can I make some of these concurrent? But eventually, what you'll just end up with is this list and this plan. And then the beauty of this is it prevents the number one thing that kills us in winter, procrastination. You have four things you want to do. You have not done this exercise. You have a Saturday. It's mid-November. It's beautiful out. You look outside. You smell the air. Let your birds out if you have birds, or your cows out if you have cows, or your dog out if all you have is a dog. You go out on the porch, it's just a little bit cold. You wrap your fingers around that warm cup of coffee. feels good on both the cold side and the hot side. Take a drink of it. Maybe you were smart and put a tablespoon of cocoa powder in that coffee. It's got a chocolate thing going on to it. Threw it in a blender and made it foam up and put a little salt on the top of it. You got that. Just beautiful taste going on. Breeze just barely blows. You sit down. You think, I could do this all day. Guess what happens? You do that all day. Because every time you think A, B, C, or D, you're like, I don't really feel like that one. I don't. But you get up in that morning and everything feels like that. And you have that same beautiful cup of coffee, that same great morning on the porch. And it says, oh, 
today's the day that I'm going to work on a chicken tractor. It's like when you go to work. You go to work, there's something you're supposed to do, you do it. And, you end, and the reason you do this is if I thought you were going to be miserable doing these projects, I wouldn't say to do it. I'd say figure out something else in your life. But I find that even when I'm like, I don't feel like that today. I just want to sit here. I want to go. You know, I'm just going to watch football today or whatever. When I go out to the shop, turn the TV on the Red Zone channel and listen to the game in the background, and when something happens that I really think is exciting, stop for a minute and go watch it and then go back to work, I have a blast. I enjoy the hell out of myself. And I feel really good about the end, and what I got done at the end of the day. And you need to manage your time with this with a quitting time just like you have at work. When quitting time comes, you quit. Now, being a self-employed type, an entrepreneur type, this is where I've, you know, my wife's come out and gone, hey, do you, do you, do you think maybe you need to quit doing what you're doing right now? Like, you need to, to stop this? And I'm like, well, well why? What's, what's the problem? And, uh, you know, her response is, well, it's, it's 8.30. And I'm like, holy crap. So what I started doing then to prevent that from happening is I would set a, a time budget just like I always did. But then that would translate into, so that means that today, Jack, you're closing up the shop before. I mean, come on, it's your day off. You can't work all day. So, you, you know, and, and my wife and I, we do things together while I'm working. So it's not like I'm totally isolated. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time together, even when I'm working my, my, my podcast and my business and stuff like that. So it might be a little easier for me. But still, it's like, okay, you know, 4 o'clock, we're going to sit down and watch TV or we're going to cook soup together or whatever it's going to be for a winter day. And I will set my phone with an alarm. And when it goes off, Put things away, and I'll leave. I've even gotten now where I'm really strict on myself. Like, so if I'm gonna stop at four, that'll first alarm goes off at three forty-five, and that means yeah, maybe you can cut that one more piece of wood or whatever, you know, use the nail gun and put that one last nail in or something like that. But you need whatever needs to be cleaned up and put away so you can go in the house. You start doing that, and when you're done, you go in the house, and then at four o'clock the alarm goes off again, and that means unless something's gonna die or something's gonna get broken. Whatever, wherever it is, is good enough. It's time to go in and keep your commitment. And that's made my life a lot better. So if you're a workaholic, then that's something that you really need to think about adding to your, your planning there. And uh, if you do that and you schedule your things to begin on those dates and then you start them on those dates, and then what you can really begin to do is if you plan something, it wasn't going to be done on December 15th. And you get done the week before. So it gets done right, you know, December 10th. Well, you can either make some more family time or you can move the project up. Now, since you moved it up, maybe you had planned the next Saturday to work six hours on it. Since you've got an early start, now you can give your permission. Well, I'm going to work four hours. You know, I'm going to get up early, take a walk, do whatever you do for your morning routine on a Saturday, and I'm going to start working at eight. By noon, I'm going to be done. And I'm gonna give my family the rest of that day, or I'm gonna give my, you know, I'm gonna go do the kids thing for a baseball game or a football game or whatever basketball game uh, in the morning, and then I'm gonna work like noon to four. I'm not gonna try to squirrel in an extra two hours to make six hours because I'm already ahead of schedule. You're happy when that happens when you get ahead of schedule, or you can just, you know, hey, hey, I got this done a little bit earlier, and you know, maybe I just. Take a weekend off. Or maybe instead of working both weekend days or working, you know, after work uh, two hours for three days this week, I only work after work for, you know, one one day this week. And because you've got everything planned out, you don't get overly compulsed to work. And, and that's it. That's the basic planning process. And it's not really hard. 
And it is a very um, scaled-down version of exactly how I used to manage projects that were, you know, so one of the one of the projects I did was like a freaking $5 million project. I managed a $5 million project exactly that way. There's just a lot more to it. There's a lot more moving parts. There's a lot more people involved. There's a lot more variables. But you do it the same way. You, you break it down by phases. One has to be done before we can start two. We can start two when we're 75% through one, whatever it is. This is the overlap. Here's my available manpower. Here's the people that can do that. Here's the things that are likely to go wrong. Here's the way I'm going to have to do a change order with the customer. And I can manage a job as a $500 self-project, a $5 million uh, you know, project in multiple states. The same process. So the beauty of this is if you start managing your life this way, Uh, you can then translate that into being better professionally as well. Because people that have project management skills are valuable, no matter what it is that they do in their organization. Anything short of like stuffing envelopes, right? And you can still probably develop a system then to help other people stuff the envelopes faster. Here's an example of how that translates and how I think differently than a lot of people about work. So my daughter-in-law is about to, to change jobs and start a new job. And it really is about... Processing insurance. She's a medical assistant, and that's the world she works in. And she's really good at it. And she's very well versed in all the different types of processes of claims and all. So she interviewed with this company, and uh, they said, "Well, we we pay fourteen fifty an hour to start. That's what we pay." She said, no, "I don't know." So she went and interviewed for the job, and she really liked the opportunity. But when she found out that the insurance they provided sucked and they'd have to basically get their own insurance and she'd lose the insurance she had with work, even though she was paying something for that, she figured out that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose $100 a month because she was already making about that amount of money. So I'm going to be $100 a month in the hole by getting paid the same. And I was looking to move up. So she said the most powerful word in sales and marketing, and when you go on a job interview, you're selling and marketing yourself, which was no. She said, I really love this, and I really want to do this, and I think I can do a great job here, and I love the flexibility, because there's a lot of perks to this job you don't need to know to understand the point here. Um, but she really wanted it, and the lady said, well, hold on. Let me, let me check some things. She called her back up and said, well, I can just start you at $16 an hour. So she got $1.50 an hour bump before she got hired by saying no. Now, how do you maximize that? Because they said, well, you know, we can do probably like a quarter an hour raise in 90 days. And I'm like, that's not enough. She said, well, how do I get more? She said, that's what HR said. I said, they always tell you what, that's what HR said. So my plan for her is I said, you're going to go into this job and they're going to have, I guarantee you, they're going to have no real metric in place to measure performance by other than they feel like you're doing enough. So what you need to do is every time you process a claim, categorize it to like an A, a B, a C, a D, a 1, a 2, a 3, a 4. I don't care what it is. Figure out how long it takes you to do that claim. If there's been any prior errors, how long they take and create a rating for that. And then when you look at a, a claim, immediately say this is a 1, a 2, a 3, or a 4. And then just make a little sheet for yourself that day. It says 1, 2, 3, 4 on Every time you finish one, put a check mark under 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now, I'll build you a spreadsheet for that, and every day you, when you come home or right at your desk before you leave, take two seconds and enter, I completed X, Y, Z, and A number of these particular types of forms today. 
and then each one of those have a score. Like the easiest one's a one, the next one up's a two, the third one's up a three, and the fourth one's up a four. And you get that many points for each one based on how complicated they are to do or how long they're supposed to take. And then work really hard at averaging your number at the end of the first week. At your second week, you have your number go up. Third week, have your number go up. Fourth week, have your And figure out what is the best number you're capable of. And then figure out anything you can that makes that number go up after you've done everything the way you're supposed to by any kind of efficiencies you can lean out and keep pushing that number. And at 90 days, instead of going and say, well, I don't miss any work and I do a good job, walk in with, your, with, with three pages of an Excel workbook, 30 days each, showing the numbers, the process that you created, the way that you're judging yourself, and your increase in performance from day one to day 90 and say, I think with all this, maybe you can do better than a quarter. Now, who? Now I'm telling you, even though this is about homesteading, if you didn't just get the value out of this show for a year from that one piece of advice, if you're in a job like that where you don't think there's a way to move up or there's a way to stand out, what's that worth? Right, And that is that is the same mentality now. See what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what you want to do. This same mentality can go to anything. And I, what I said is I would take that and say, I've developed this methodology. I noticed that we really don't have a way to judge ourselves here, so I did it. You guys are welcome to start using it, and I'll help you in any way that I can. You see what I mean? You can do the same thing at home. You can do the same thing at work. You can transform your life with these skills, and they're not that complicated. Because everything I just said to do... It blows away an employer. Like, I can't believe you judged yourself this way and created a review process for yourself. You created a... Med- but you know what? You can A person that actually knows their shit, like she knows insurance. And maybe it's not four. Maybe it's three. And maybe one of them is a score of a one for everyone you get done. And one's a one and a half, not a full two. I don't know. You figure that shit out. It doesn't matter. When it's done, it's better than what they have. And it blows them away. But it, how much does it really take out of you? Well... It should. A person knows what they're doing in that environment should be able to develop that system in about an hour. When something comes up that doesn't fit the method, you should be able to assign it into something or create a variable for it in about five minutes. If that happens three times a month, that's another 50. That's 45 minutes into the 90-day period. And it should take you less than a minute a day to enter your numbers. So call that another hour and a half. So you're going to put in, you know, going beyond what's required, about three extra hours of work over three months, an hour a month of extra work. And then you have a story. So let's say that you work for somebody that sucks so bad they don't even care that you did that and say, I don't know why you're wasting your time with this. You're so stupid for judging yourself. We judge you. Here's your stupid quarter and go back to work and stop wasting your time with this. Well, then you take that methodology that they had no value in and you go find a competitor or somebody in a similar line of work and say, well, I've been working at this place and I really wanted to do more with what the opportunity was. So I built this whole system and they have no interest in using it. And it'd be one thing if they had a system they thought was better, but they have no, no way to quantify the performance of their workforce. And I was wondering if you'd like me to come here and not only do this job, but help you implement this. See, this isn't hard. This is lifestyle developing business or business developing lifestyle. And you can transform this any way that you want. So just thought I'd throw a little bonus in there for you. Let's talk about some things I'm planning this year. Um, new garden beds 
and rehabbing the aviary and the wicking beds. I'm kind of putting that all in one. Even And the reason I'm doing it, I get to cheat. I got a bunch of people coming here that are going to build the new garden beds for me as part of the workshop. But they're kind of right in that same area, so I'm kind of seeing that as one big project. And I kind of see them as the same level of priority. That all needs to be done for the stuff that I want to grow there next year. And there's some things being changed about the aviary, and I, I'm not saying exactly what, but it's basically becoming a herpetorium, which means there's going to be reptiles and amphibians in there. And there are certain things that need to happen in there, or next spring, when it comes time to start putting those critters in there, they can't go in there. So, And, and the other thing is, like, these are both really straightforward projects. Cost estimation, easy. Labor estimation, easy. But I, I want to get those done. I want to complete rebuild the greenhouse and the aquaponics system in it. This is a high priority for me because some of the other things I want to do is develop a new system for starting plants and stuff like that and this all needs to be done so I have the greenhouse for starting my plants for spring gardens. So those are like my top priority things to get done early in the fall before we even get full on into winter. Um, with that there's nothing that stops me right now Because this is not a project that requires me to do a lot of stuff. It requires me to get a lot of organization and idea and plan together. So I want to develop a new plant starting system and schedule. I want to know on this day I'm starting 25 lettuce plants. On this day I'm starting 8 tomato plants. On this the day I'm doing it, where those plants are going and how they're going. By the way, I got another like bonus tip for you today. So... If you go to Home Depot, Lowe's, or any box retailer, like Walmart does this too, that sells Bonnie's plants, which are kind of like the most mass-marketed vegetable plants you can buy, tomatoes, peppers, etc. There's like a you know, half dozen things that they sell, 20 varieties of. And uh, they come in these black 10-pack um, holding trays. And each of those trays, there's a cup, and it's a you know, white, green, and yellow cup that says Bonnie's on it. Those cups are a little bit shorter, but they're pretty much exactly the same size as a party uh, kegerator-style uh, red Solo cup. You go to a college party, pay two bucks to get into the I, – they're probably more now. When I was a kid, we'd pay two bucks to get into a keg party, and you got a red cup. And you go to the keg and fill it up. That cup that everybody knows, they fit in those Bonnie's trays like they were made to go in there. Probably because the – company that makes the cups for Bonnie's makes solo cups. I'm just guessing at it, but it's so close. So you take a stack of those things and a drill and drill a couple holes through, you know, 10 cups in one shot, and then boom, you've got a tray full of cups, and you're ready to do start your plants. And the solo cups last longer and will do more plantings for you than the Bonnie's plants, and it's all cheaper than buying specialized equipment. And the reason I bring this up is if you go to Home Depot, Lowe's, etc., They usually have big stacks of those those black trays because most people buy two plants, three plants, and they don't take the trays with them, and they'll just give you the trays. You can just have them. They're free. So you can get all your trays, keep everything organized, go buy one giant thing of red cups down at Costco. you got enough to start plants for years. So just a little thing in there. And that's what I'm going to be. The reason I bring that up is, you know, instead of using six packs, 12 packs, whatever, with the really small cells, You get a much better root system. The plants can get a lot bigger. If it takes a little longer to get them planted, they don't stunt on you. Uh, they dry out slower, so they stay watered longer. Everything's better. So I want a whole new system and schedule behind the plants. And that's also going to include, that's a very intensive project that involves being able to sit on my ass on my couch on days where I can't work outside. Because that includes researching 
more, I've done a lot already with disease resistance and certain vegetables and what varieties and things like that I'm going to grow, getting the seeds ordered, get everything organized so I have a box, all my seeds are in it so I know grab these seeds out of this. Everything as organized as it's ever been and better with my, my, my plant starting. Um, now, this is one that may have to, at least part of it, may have to kind of go commensurate with some of these other things. I'm doing a complete remodel of my smaller shop building, the one in the back, the 800-square-foot shop building. If you were here at the spring workshop, the place looked god-awful. There's stuff everywhere. It looks a little bit better, and when people come here for the fall workshop, since we have a ton of people here and some people sleep in there, um, it will look okay. But I have not been able to bring myself to put any real effort into organizing that thing because I know that this fall... One of my projects is some of the shelving that's in there was built by the prior owner. It's just not usable. It's too deep. You can't reach the back of it. It's too high. So I've already ripped a bunch of it out. More of it's coming out. There's some stuff in there that still belongs to my son and my daughter-in-law, and they either need to come get it or it's going to Goodwill, and I'm going to completely develop that into the shop that it should have been turned into six years ago. Uh, I've got some good tools, but I'm going to be adding some. I'm going to get a table saw, uh, and I'm going to have that place completely laid out and organized like the shop that it that the dream shop I've always wanted and never built myself. And it's not a lot of work. It's it's more a lot of just getting rid of things and putting things where they belong and put some shelves in. Uh and then set the equipment up and maybe run some some power. So it's something I could probably do in a in a full weekend. But that needs to get done because a lot of the other work that I want to do involves, you know, power tools and stuff like that. And in the winter having a nice covered, heated you know, building or want a nice day where you can open up with the breeze through is going to be much easier out there listening to my music, what have you, you know, just a much better way to do things. So that is a, that's as high a priority as the, the greenhouse. In fact, it will probably happen before the greenhouse because a lot of the stuff that I'll be doing that I, for the greenhouse, the shop's right there. So it can be done in the shop and taken out to the greenhouse. Um, next is, And this is a shop project, and this will be done toward toward the end of winter when I'm getting ready to need it, because this is a one-day project. I've already got everything mapped out, and I actually got to do it. I'm going to build a new version of a chicken tractor. In fact, I'm probably going to build two of them, because I'm going to run uh, probably uh, 30 chickens this year, pastured poultry, for for meat for the, from the from the homestead this year. So that's going to be an eight-week process to, to raise those chickens on pasture. I'll do Cornish crosses. I'm actually thinking about doing like um, 25 Cornish crosses and maybe 10 Red Rangers and letting them get go a little longer, get a little bigger, uh, and doing them as a sausage, a chicken sausage chicken, because they're just really great for that from what I understand from uh, one member of this audience. But the chicken tractor I have has been around for six years. It's ready to fall apart, and I didn't know what I was doing. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have certain tools. And I didn't want to spend more money just to make it lighter. So I built it out of, you know, stud lumber, the cheapest two by fours you can buy instead of pressure treated. And it's still, it hadn't rotted. I mean, the bottom is starting a few places to fall apart. Six years I got out of it. So that's not bad. Um, but the new one, I'm going to use pressure treated two by fours and that table saw. So it's really stupid, but thinner boards cost more money than two by fours. But if you have a table saw, You can take that one and a half inch wide two by four, and once you set the gate on that table saw, zip, 
and and rip it down the down the center on the long dimension on the long center dimension, and now you have three minus the kerf of the blade, which is how much wood you lose, about three quarters of an inch thick, you know, and one and a half long. So now you have half the weight. Well, you're keeping chickens in and and putting hardware cloth around it. So now you cut your weight in half. Slap together with a nail gun, put a couple of reinforcing screws into it, pop the wheels back on it, boom, done. So I'm going to probably build two of those, and that'll take like that's like four hours of work, drinking a beer. So that'll happen, and then that way we, and I'm going to have a whole new way that I do that to make it really easy, and that way I can get my chickens into those chicken tractors early in the year, and before we even hit the peak of summer, they're going to go down to Weatherford, get processed, and I'm done with managing pastured poultry for the year, at least through the, maybe I'll, you know, if we eat all the chicken, you know, maybe I'll do another run in September and, you know, finish that up around the end of October, but I won't be doing it in the summer, which is really important because we're going to be doing a very long trip this year, 14 days being gone, and I don't want to leave chickens in a chicken tractor to be maintained by a house sitter. I might have turkeys because I'm going to probably do turkeys next year, but by the time we go away for the summer, the turkeys used to be free range. So there won't be anything to do with them except field or feed up. I don't mind a housekeeper doing that. So so you start to plan these things into the rest of your plans for the year. Uh, so lighter chicken tractors, uh, I need to get installed irrigation for all the pecan trees I want to plant this spring. I'm going to a pecan overstory on this property. It is the perfect plant for here. I have fought tooth and nail trying to make this place grow things it doesn't really want to grow. I have some success and some failure with it. And what works and what doesn't is part of the planning process. And if you have good irrigation to a pecan tree in this part of Texas, it just grows. So I want to put in about 20 trees on the whole property. Some of it's already irrigated. Some of it isn't. So anywhere a tree's going to go, there's at least one sprinkler going where that tree's going. That's a summer. I mean, so, winter's a great time of year to dig around here. It's the only good time of year because it's when you don't die and they don't put you in the hole you're digging. And here they couldn't even fit me in the hole because you can't dig deep enough. Right? So that's going to happen. And then I want to plan out a little bit more accurately the meat livestock, the quantity of the schedule, et cetera, as part of the tractors that I mentioned earlier. Because what I'm thinking I'm going to do this year is I'm going to raise like 20 turkeys. I'm going to do broad-breasted bronze again. I'm going to do all hens because I've had – some issues with my gobblers getting really aggressive and hurting each other. And I've even had gobblers kill hens. And, you know, you're talking about a bird that gets up over 50, 60 pounds. And when they go, when they go rogue, it, it was pretty, I had one year, I thought hawks were like killing my hen turkeys. And I thought that, that they just couldn't carry it away. So they were like hacking out the back and eating what they could. And I'd find these turkeys that were completely devastated and I thought, you know, it must be a hawk or a fox or something small that can kill the turkey, but not take it away. In fact, it wasn't even, like, they would still be alive. I'd have to put them down. And we finally found right toward when we harvested them, one of my gobblers was doing this to the hens. I mean, just viciously, savagely murdering them. And so I decided that with broad-breasted bronze, since my smallest hen I've ever raised is 24 pounds, Dressed weight, not live weight. I don't need a bigger turkey than that. So all hens, no fighting. We'll have a nice little dinosaur. They look because they look like dinosaurs when they're young. Follow me around out here, a little dinosaur parade. And then next year I'll sell off probably fifteen of those twenty turkeys. 
And that'll put 120 pounds of turkey in the freezer for me. Meat. Not just carcass weight, but meat. And it, you know, put, it'll pay for everything. So that's, that's my plan on that. So I need to figure out like when the turkeys are showing up. And then I want the poults to be big enough that I don't have to worry about them when I leave for the summer. So that all gets put in there. So you see how this, this works and why now is the time. Because that's a lot to do. And it's not everything, but it's the big things. Those are the things that they will happen this year. They will occur no matter what. If I have to hire somebody to help me, and see, that's the other thing. Now, then you can start to say, okay, well, look, this thing I can do, but it's going to eat four weekends. And the main reason it's going to eat four weekends is this one piece of it. And if I hire somebody to do that, and they charge me $500, and I provide the materials, I get to take back five weekends of work for $500. Now, if you don't have $500, then you got to figure something else out. But if you have the $500, you might go, you know what? Shit, that just makes sense. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to move all these other things up to here, and then the part that I'm going to take over, I'm going to push that to the end, and then I'm going to spend spending four weekends on this thing. I'm going to spend one day wrapping it up. And then you see, it's no problem to get a, a bid because the guy comes out, well, I'm going to have to, you know, here's my plan. Here's what I've looked at. Here's all the materials right there. There's a tarp over top of them. Here's a list of those materials. If you think there's anything you need, you don't have, you tell me, I'll get it for you. How much do you want to charge me to do the work? Well, I don't work that way. Goodbye. Somebody does. Bye now. That's how simple that is. You call handyman number two. Hey, do you want to do this? Yeah, okay, get on it. I need it done by this day. I don't care when you do it. I don't care how many hours a day you work. I don't care if you work in the rain or not in the rain. I don't care what you do. Here's my drop-dead completion date. Can you commit to that date? Great, let's get going. I can do it two weeks earlier. Great, get on it. Because it's just sitting there then ready for you for the part you're going to do. Now, now, if you don't plan things out, how do you make a decision about which is the best piece of which project to do that with? Because every year... There'll be one or two things that I do exactly that with. I get in touch with one of my handymen, and I say, look, man, I could do this. I don't have time. And when I do that, I'm almost always assured that I'm picking the thing that is the easiest thing for them to do the most for me with. So, And I can, you know, hey, I can, the best stuff is stuff that's not specialized. Like if you can do specialized work, then do the specialized work and, and contract out the general work that's the easiest, cheapest labor to do. But it's time-consuming. That's the way I think anyway. And like I said, I think you can take a lot of this into your workplace. Or you can take a lot of the ways you do these things in a workplace into your home. It goes both directions. A lot of this is very much in league with the thinking of the four-hour work week. If you ever read that by Tim Ferriss, what he talks about is if you have a job that's really complicated, but you spend a significant amount of time, let's say eight hours a week, so it's a significant amount of time, doing some really menial components of your job, it might be worth you hiring an assistant out of your own pocket to do that work for you so that you can spend more time doing the stuff that's actually things that you need to do that no one else can. And if you're paid in some sort of incentive, bonus structure, whatever, you'll probably make so much more money that it makes the financial aspect of making that choice easy. I did this when I worked for Fluke Networks and Sales, and they first got mad at me. How dare you have an assistant answer the phone for you? Who the hell gave you authorization to do this? 
But when my numbers spoke for themselves and I was a number one sales manager in a $500 million a year company, all of a sudden everybody like kind of looked the other way about it. And then a year into it, maybe other people should be doing this too to the point of suggesting it. You know, I had an inside salesperson when they bought the company I was working for out and absorbed us. They laid that person off, so I replaced them. Do that in your own homestead. Figure out the places where you make the maximum return for letting somebody else do the work and bring them in to do that. And then know when it doesn't make sense to do that. It all comes from a planning process. Anyway, I'd love to hear the plans you guys have. You know, Come comment on the blog. We don't get a lot of comments on the blog anymore. Like All the discussion has moved to Facebook. We don't even get a lot on the forum anymore. I'd love to hear from you on the blog. What, what, what are your plans this this summer, come on by, look up episode 2526 of the Survival Podcast. Leave us a comment or send me an email about it. Maybe I'll do a show one day where I'll take a segment, maybe 15 minutes, and go through plans that the audience has. What a great idea. With that, we have wrapped up the show yet again. Time to remind you there's two ways to help support the show. So if you, uh, if you want to support us, the easiest way to do that is become a member of the MSB. And the reason it's really easy is because you pay an annual membership. 50 bucks a year. And then, you know, whenever you're going to get something for your prepping needs, your homesteading needs, anything like that, log into your account and look at all the people who give discounts. Use the discounts and you'll probably end up saving 100 to $200 a year is about what people tell me they save on average. So you get paid to support the show. I, I really can't see any way it's easier to do than that. The other way, it's totally painless because there's no upfront real cost to it, is you're probably going to buy some stuff online this week or next week, and a lot of you guys shop Amazon. So when you're going to buy stuff online, just go ahead and uh, uh, go to tspaz.com first, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Just start your shopping there. No matter what you buy, you, uh, you help the survival podcast and the work that we do. Uh, but you can also look at all the things I've reviewed. Everything I've reviewed, I use, I own, I spent my money on it, and if I needed more of it, I'd do it again or I wouldn't recommend it to you. Uh, I've been running a pro this program now for over three years. I have sold, on average, I don't apologize for my success, uh, somewhere between $1.6 to $2 million worth of things a year through TSPAS. And in doing so, I have had very few, I'm talking a handful of people say, hey, this thing's not really what I expected or whatever. And most of the time when somebody tells me uh, something isn't that great, it, it isn't something I recommend. They said, don't recommend this. Um, I've sold literally millions of dollars worth of the products I recommend and had almost no one unhappy with them. And if they were unhappy with it, the, co the, 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 the company behind it made it right. So there are some things I recommend are lower-cost electronics and stuff like that. You're going to have some problems, like E-Tech City's lanterns. I mean, come on, they're going to have some issues. They're cheap. They're 6 bucks a piece. But when you get them replaced without even sending them back, then you don't really care. It's, 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 it's that Peace fits that way. That's what T-SPAS is really all about. The item I have for you today is something I found this uh, this summer. I'm a big fan of French presses for coffee and tea. And uh, now that we drink like one cup of coffee or two cups of coffee a day sometimes, making it in a French press and making it really luxurious just really is worth doing. And I've had one I've recommended for years. It's made out of glass with like a stainless steel holder. And it's a really good one. I like it. But this summer, we were going uh, out of town for, for, for our vacation, and my wife wanted to take French press with us, and I'm like, it's glass. It's going to get broke. Those idiots that throw baggage around are going to break it. 
So she said, why don't you get a different one that we can take with us? So I found this one made by Sakura, S-E-C-U-R-A. It's an insulated, double-walled, stainless steel one. And i got to admit, my old one I recommended for years, it's still a good French press, but it doesn't get used very often. The one by Sakura, that's the one we use almost every day now. And the beauty of it, since it's insulated, it holds the heat in your beverage longer. It's damn near indestructible. And I brought it around today because it's on sale um, for 36% off. Now, I didn't try to buy one, so I don't know if this is only Prime members or whatever, but somebody t said to me on Facebook after I recommended it, they just bought it, and when they logged in with their Prime account and they went to buy it, they got another $12 off on it. So I haven't had a chance to really like check in exactly how that works or whatever, but it seems like if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can get this thing for $12 off. The price is already 36% off, which is pretty damn good. It makes it like, I, if that's the case, I might buy a second one. Because there's times when we have friends over and all that we use too, and I like this one that much better than the old last one. I might just get a second one. As I said, if I recommend it, I own it, I spent my money on it, I would buy it again, or I wouldn't recommend it to you. This is a good deal today. And remember, you can always get my recommendations, the daily shows, uh, videos that I put out, anything that happened in that individual day, including plenty of stuff that doesn't get mentioned on the air, uh, by uh, becoming a, a subscriber to the daily emails. Free to do that. Go to survivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe, fill out a form. We'll email you. If you get tired of it, click a link, and we won't email you no more. No, I don't share your information. That brings us to the end of the show. Before I do the song of the day, though, I realized that I did not give you the quote of the day at the beginning of the show. And since we were talking about seasons today, I looked for a quote about seasons. Uh, and Jim Rohn, who is a guy I, I like a lot of what he does, and then he's not my favorite person at the same time, really kind of involved in the whole network marketing world and all, but... You know, good is good no matter where it comes from. And I really like this quote behind him that I found today. And it really puts the entire show that we just went through in perspective. So I'd like to share it with you now. He said, you must take personal responsibility. You cannot change the circumstances, the seasons, or the wind, but you can change yourself. That is something you have charge of. Well, with what we are talking about today, you can't change the fact that winter's coming. But you can make the most out of winter. That's what this show is really all about. So I hope you enjoyed it. That brings us to our song of the day. Song of the day today is by Foster and, and Lloyd, as in Radney Foster. Um, and it's called Texas in 1880. And the, the, what I love about this song, when I saw it from John Adam, I've, there's been some songs in my head lately I've wanted to play for y'all that have kind of come up on my Pandora station and all lately. And I've been thinking more and more about picking certain times he has a song picked out and calling an audible. And, and changing it. I was going to do that today until I looked into this song. Because this song's kind of like, it sounds like a rodeo song. It sounds like it's all about rodeo. But when I looked it up on Song Facts, it really has nothing to do with rodeo. Rodeo is only the metaphor in the song. What this song is about is dreamers who will do everything that's necessary to achieve what they really want in the world. And they're just using the concept of like riding bareback in a rodeo. And the, and the licks that you take from doing that and the beating you take from doing that to apply to anything in life. The people that, even when they get knocked down, kicked, bucked off in life, they get back up and they go for the throat and they do it again, they're the ones that achieve the dreams that they really want. That's what this song's about. So it, it reconfigured my idea to call an audible. Hope you enjoyed today's show. I know the standalone shows are some of the shows that at least some of y'all enjoy the most. If you have an idea for a show like this, a topic you want me to cover, maybe something I've never covered or something I haven't covered in a long time, email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, TSPC in the subject line, and say, Jack, please do a show about, 
Tell me what you want me to do a show about, and maybe it'll happen. With that, Ben Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. See that.